Sure, sure, sure. All right. So, um, so first off, just kind of tell me, tell me a little bit about yourself. Tell me, you know, where you grew up, uh, kind of, you know, what you had planned on as a career for yourself and then how you got into cover design. <laughs> I was definitely going to be a paleontologist, uh, dig up dinosaur bones. Uh, I guess I decided to get into a different antiquated profession instead. So I became a painter. Um, I don't know. There wasn't ever like a super big plan. Uh, I mean, there, it's funny how life happens in like, it's always two channels, right? You can look back and find evidence for whatever kind of thing you want. I guess uh, I just wanted life to be more fun, uh, but I felt that it wasn't allowed to be. I felt you had to be more serious. And uh, when I was 18, I was part of, so me and a couple of friends did this like senior prank where we, uh, I, this is like a little backstory here in Indiana you have to the school superintendent's calendar they can't mark off a day of school as like having happened unless they serve lunch because they have this obligation to serve lunch for kids who's like they can't get enough food at home they have to eat at the school right. and so they on the last day of school is a half day just so they can like serve breakfast and then peace out nobody wants to be there and we were like what would happen if they couldn't serve lunch so the night before the last day of school, we had jimmied one of the doors to stay open and we went into the school and we just took all the food, like the Grinch. <laughs> we took everything, uh, all the like roast beast and chocolate milk and croissants and everything, everything they were supposed to serve. And of course we got caught. Uh, we got arrested. It was this big thing. Oh, gosh. They were furious because the year before there had been another really elaborate senior prank at that school where people had used industrial strength zip ties to like tie off every single locker so no one could get to their wow. books. And they had to go around with bolt cutters and clip every set. So they were just like, all right, these kids clearly need to learn. And the whole thing, nothing really came of it. Uh, it just that it just made me it was like this brush with the serious side of the world where I was like, you know, I had been thinking like maybe I should go into law or poli sci or politics or something like that. And I was just like, fuck all that, man. <laughs> I just want to do. I, and so I had no plan going into college. Uh, and uh, I came to the South for college just because I needed the sunshine. Uh, really, just I'm like a plant, basically. And um, so, yeah, there, there was a drawing class that you had to take because it was a liberal arts college. And I took a drawing class and I was just hooked. I was like, this shit is awesome. Um, and of course, since it was a really tiny school, I thought I could draw because nobody could draw. No, no one could draw at all. I could, I could also not draw, but I knew how to try at stuff. So, yeah, so art. And then I just <laughs> looking around and I was like, how do you make money as an artist? And I started looking at my magic cards and they had like illustrator credit cards, on, like credit lines on them. And I was like, oh, I'll do that. <laughs> uh so you that's know. a really that's a really interesting way to get it it wasn't that like oh i've been drawing for my entire life and all, all of a sudden yeah. people started telling me i was really good at it and i was like i'm just gonna start doing this it's funny because yeah. you you know you you think a lot of people just kind of like you know maybe even like as writers you know they kind of progress and they become a published writer but it's not really always how it happens you kind of just fall into it now there's yeah. some that like you know from a very young age are very artistic or very uh musically you know gifted and stuff like that and they practice every day or whatever but i feel like it's a very small percentage 
Uh, yeah, it's hard to say because we, I guess we only know our own experience. Um, I try to read a lot about this stuff because I've always kind of had this like feeling of needing to catch up since I started so late. You know, I didn't, my mom will tell you, like I did art when I was younger and stuff. And of course, like everybody does, you go to art class and things like that. Um, uh, I think I've always had the ability to take whatever I do seriously, even if it's a really silly thing. So whenever I was trying to do a drawing when I was young, of course, for the same reason that in college against a bunch of people who weren't really trying and just had to take their art class, it seemed like I was good. Maybe I seemed like I was good in like fourth grade and stuff, but I didn't ever really draw with any seriousness or take an art class in, in, in proper until I was like 20 or mm -hmm. 19 maybe. And so there's this like, oh, I want to catch up. You know, I've got a lot to do. There's these amazing people on the internet. Crap. <laughs> uh, and um, yeah, where was I going with that? <laughs> oh, so there's this uh, there's this art psychologist named Ellen Winner who does all this research on like children and stuff like that and, and adult artists and how one becomes the other. And from her point of view, like everyone who's an artist starts young. They all just she's like, it's like this um, totally systemic trait that if they're going to be an artist, they're going to be an artist. And then that, they just she has this term like the rage to master, like you were talking about. They practice all the time and stuff like mm -hmm. that. So. I feel I've had to find more efficient ways to learn because I didn't really have the luxury of time. Um, but uh, a lot of, almost everyone, I do a podcast where we interview artists uh, and like all of them have always drawn pretty much. Really? Yeah. So it does seem, I don't know. This seems less common of a way I'll say, but uh, it's provided its own challenges, but also it's been, it's been fun and interesting in different ways too. I don't know. Hey guys, what uh, what's the name of the podcast that you that you do? Uh, it's called Black White Gray. Okay. Uh, I do that with um fellow cover and magic illustrator Micah Epstein. Okay. I have to I have to go check that out because uh I I've I've since I've started blogging probably gosh how long has it been six seven years ago now um. I've really become kind of a cover snob. So, so like, you know, if there's, if there's a good cover out there, like I try to get my hands on it. Granted, I, I really missed out on the suppressed editions of red rising that you did. I'm very, very sad uh, about that, which because now sorry, they're like, man. you know, two and three grand a piece. <laughs> Are they really? Yeah. If you go to eBay, I think like the cheapest one you can get of, uh, of dark age is like 2,500 bucks. Did you, did oh, you know shit, that people the... covet that stuff? <laughs> That's like the most recent one too, Dark Age. Mm -hmm. That was, and the, I, I didn't even get to do that one. That sucked because I was lined up to do the second trilogy with Subpress mm -hmm. too to like close up on the first one. And uh, they were going to have interior illustrations and stuff we didn't get to do on the first set. And uh, that was when my arm got injured and we just couldn't, couldn't make the time work. And they were really nice about it, but they were like, you know, we just, we have contracts where we have to publish this stuff within a certain amount of time. Yeah, yeah. So if you can't do it within that time, you know, we're going to have to give it to someone else. And I was like, ah, eh, to give it to someone else. <laughs> uh, I was engaged to a woman at the time. And I remember I told her I didn't get that, that they took that job away. She just like burst into tears. <laughs> it was a really weird time. <laughs> What's uh, So you're, you're a cover snob, huh? What's like some of your favorite stuff you've seen recently? Don't say any of my stuff. That'll be too embarrassing. But what's cool? <laughs> what's good out there? What's cool? I mean, I mean, anything that like, uh, like Richard Anderson or Felix Ortiz, uh, does, um, I'm also really like, uh, Jeffrey Allen Love. Oh um, yeah. I have the uh, jowl. The jowl. Felix, yeah. 
Felix Ortiz. Felix Ortiz. Yeah. So he uh, he does oh. he does a lot of indie stuff right now, but he uh, did Brian Anderson's latest trilogy for tour, um, Bard's Blade and Chorus oh. of Fire. Cool. But uh, his most recent one that's come out, he did one for Michael Fletcher uh, for a book called She Dreams in Blood. But I think he's going to be like the next like big traditionally published cover artist. Because um, like I said, he's already broken in with tour, uh, but he does a lot of the indie stuff right now. Oh, that one for um, She Dreams in Blood is crazy. I love the design on it. Wow. The, like the way the type is like nestled in with all the like gory crazy shit that's awesome <laughs> this is such a yeah i saw a cover so i saw a cover he did for um tamandra whitecastle it's a self-published author yes. and uh that i work with a lot and i saw his work on her site and i was like oh that's pretty good there's some cool stuff in there like i wonder where she found this person i didn't see the credit for the artist uh, i'll have to like check out more of his stuff thanks for the tip yeah absolutely uh, yeah because you did it's her, funny uh, what from the outside are there like like the next like that's just an interesting term you use like the next big publishing artist is that how it's seen from the outside that there's like people that they just they kind of break in and they become like the next one i mean maybe uh i i mean i feel like because i've only been really doing this I and mean, i say i say seven years I mean, i've only had my own blog for like three and a half um but i feel like that's kind of what i mean you've got you know, your mainstays, you know, like yourself, Richard Anderson, that you see a lot. Um, uh, you see Jeffrey Allen Love, uh, I mean, at least a few times a year. And now he's got his own stuff. Um, you know, his like unpublished stuff. Uh, I'm trying to think who else. Uh, uh, Anthony G. Giovanni. Um, you know, but like, you know, I, I've seen those names for a while. Um, and then Felix has kind of started over the past I would say a couple of years, I mean, maybe like really getting book covers out. And I, I feel like publishers, as they're seeing self-published stuff come out, they're like maybe going and fetching a couple of, of, of cover designers. I don't, I don't know if that's a true thing, but it could be. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm just speculating, honestly. <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure. It feels very much like, uh, like Narnia, right? No cover artist really gets in quite the same way. Yeah, uh, yeah. I, so I'm not sure how other people get it just seems like when the work gets to a certain stage then people take interest um, I mean how did, how you, did you break in uh, I just haunted Irene Gallo like a plague uh, you know like tastefully but you know she, um, she I just only had one target client really it was Irene um, you know, maybe I was thinking small or whatever, but she did tour.com at the time. And I just wanted to work on it because it looked like a place that was the type of art I would want to do could be made there. Uh, mm -hmm. And of course, at that point, I didn't really know what kind of art I wanted to make. I thought I did, uh, but I just decided she, she would give me the freedom to do it, whatever it was. And it was story art and it was an in with publishing. I don't know. It just seemed like a good confluence of things. I thought I'll shoot for that. And, um, you know, she shows up at different industry conventions and training workshops and things like that. And we would just talk and I'd get reviews from her and stuff. And so she was kind of just watching as I developed. And I, you know, like I said, I was always working really hard to develop my skills because I was coming so far from behind. Um, it felt like uh, and, and really that I think that was true. Um, so she just sort of 
was there at the moment that things came together. And uh, I got really lucky in that another cover artist, really a mainstay person that she had been using a lot, sort of just um, vanished in the middle of a job on her. Uh, is the story I heard. I, I don't know. And um, mm. but she needed someone to fill in. And she she I think so. I think she picked me a little before I was ready just because I happened to be in her mind, kind of comparable to this artist in terms of just the general feel, like skill-wise, I was nowhere near this person. But um, I just got lucky that there was like this vacancy and she just kind of like dropped me into it and saw if I could swim or not. And I did okay enough that then um, Lauren Panapinto at Orbit, who also uh, I had gotten reviews from, and she's, she's a great friend of mine and, and has been a great mentor of mine. Uh, she then also needed a job that she wanted to use that same artist who was still MIA. So she was like, called Irene, was like, hey, who'd you use to replace so-and-so? Okay, I'll use him too. And so it just kind of, it just kind of followed from there. Uh, that was just a really lucky, lucky coincidence of, and, you know, I had just always been kind of forcing my head into that industry, just like butting in, being like, hey, what's up? I'm here. Bah. You know, trying, to, trying to show up at stuff. And, but just, you know, but not being like, I wasn't like beating the drum and trying to network. I was just trying to get better. I just knew yeah. that if you got good enough, you'd get in that seemed to be the only thing that could be counted on yeah because i have to imagine i mean you know you i mean as an artist i guess there's only like so many avenues you can go in to make money i mean you you can do you can do posters you can do art shows i mean you can you know paint and you know try to get it purchased by somebody who would maybe want to hang it up in their home not necessarily from like a gallery or something but i mean i feel like they're I mean, there's probably more avenues than I think there are, but I mean, what is it like seeing your art on a bookshelf versus seeing it up on like a wall in a, like a home office or even in like a, like a dining room? I mean, what are, are you, are you happy with, with kind of how your art has come out there or would you, would you hmm. still rather do it on a bigger canvas? <laughs> Cause I mean, I think about it, you know, you, you, your art is probably a little bit bigger than it would be like on a, on a book cover or, or is it always, do you always do it with the thought of it's going to be, you know, this, this, you know, these dimensions? Yeah. Um, there's a lot, there's a lot there to answer. Um, <laughs> I know there is, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, 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 don't worry about it. Um, I get for myself, there are definitely, I'm really a problem solver. Uh, like I, my means is art, but I'm always thinking in terms of the cover or the magic card or the um, interior plate. And that shows up in the work. Like if I'm doing work for the interior of a book, I design it and paint it completely differently uh, in many ways. I mean, it still looks kind of like mine, but uh, it's thought of differently. And the level of fidelity of the paint is different if it's an interior piece where when you're going to get confronted with this thing, you're already reading the book. So it's big and it's like right in your face. You, you can kind of do different things with a piece of art like that than you can in thumbnail size on a publisher's Instagram feed. Um, so uh, I guess every kind of artist has regrets and like hangups, you know, like, of course, I'd love to be able to spend forever and nuance this stuff and make it just perfect. And there was a time in my career where I tried to do that, but you get it good instead of getting it right. And that's a problem. It needs to be right. Uh, and it needs to do its thing. It needs to, and really, you know, as you like make art and watch other people interact with it, um, no matter what you paint, people will look at it for one second and then go, huh. And then they'll scroll 
And yeah. so you kind of realize like, all right, if I don't get them in one second, I screwed up. Like that's my job. And mm-hmm. uh, as a cover artist, especially so like cover art is just really different demands and um, a lot more in common with things like, uh, you know, I look at all kinds of, you know, I'm, I'm a huge art history buff and uh, love, love that stuff. But uh, really a lot of what I look at is like Hollywood and video games, uh, their covers and posters and promo art, what are they doing to get attention? Because those are the most competitive industries on cash that lead with a visual element, you know, like mm-hmm. book covers are, are great. Uh, and they're a great Avenue for, for art, but, uh, and, and for myself, it's a great vehicle to keep working and, and practicing, but um, the kind of money is just not at stake. That's at stake for a film. So if you look at like, all right, so what are the promo posters for John Wick look like? Um, or like the, you know, Ragnarok or something like that. And mm-hmm. they just, those, they don't make any sense, but they get your attention. Like if one of those thumbnails shows up in your inbox, you're like, Bleh! <laughs> and so that's kind of what you have to do. And I want to, I mean, I'm not the kind of person that believes in like A or B. I think you can usually do both. And so um, I'd like to get that level of attention in the work, but then also have something appreciable in there that, you know, stuff that'll hold up and last at, at greater scrutiny. Like a lot of times, like I remember I was talking to, again, the author, Tamander Whitecastle about those Ragnarok promo shots where like Thor's like holding the swords like this, but they're pointed down. So if he moves his arms in either direction, he's going to cut his own wrists off. <laughs> and you're like, that eh, doesn't make any sense. What's going on there? Um, but learning that art doesn't always have to make sense and doesn't have to agree. Really, it just has to get their attention and be cool. Like the it's a great industry for me. I think this was part of your question because cool is sacrosanct. It's the highest goal of everything else. It's just that it'd be cool. And really, I guess I'm just like a dumb little 12 year old because cool is enough for me. Uh, it really is. Um, now it sucks when you do something that's no good. Um, I had a good talk with artist Dave Palumbo about this on the podcast actually. And he was saying, you know, I really try not to do, I really try not to turn into anything I'm not happy with anymore. Not for any reason other than that in the long term, the person who pays the big price for that is me. And I was like, what? And he, you know, like, cause I kind of thought I agreed with him and he was like, yeah, you know, it's just really hard to have crappy work out there because it doesn't go away and it's out there. It's out there with your name and all the same bravado as if it was good, but it sucks. And you know, it sucks and you can't hide from it. So when you go to Barnes and Noble, there it is sucking and i was like yeah i feel that so um yeah you know uh but i dig it i guess um i don't know i keep a pretty you know you're talking about people who are mainstay cover artists and things like that it's really not how Mm. i think of myself i think almost every artist feels like kind of an interloper to some degree because we're kind of on the outside of it which is a very natural position for an artist i think to feel on the outside of something that they're observing and and transcribing into the work but uh you know that they come at you they're like yeah we need this cover it was a rush of course it's not enough money of course (laughs) because you please of course and you're like yeah that sounds sweet actually and then you do it and then they go away and i don't know it's like you're you're very much a part of it and also it's very much its own system that no individual person is really driving it's like it's a very collaborative effort that it took me a long time to to realize like the first couple of years of doing covers i really was like these are mine it's my art and that's, that's a horrible point of view to have on the whole thing and it led to a lot of like i said working on the wrong kinds of stuff too so um 
I don't know. I don't know if I, I'd feel better if my stuff was on a wall. I mean, I realize I'm taking a long time to answer this question, but like You're I said, good. there's a lot of, I, I, it was, was a very long question. <laughs> yeah. There was, there was a couple, I'll, I think I'm getting to the last part here, which is uh, when I know people whose work is only up on people's walls and stuff, they struggle with feeling validated. They're like, even if their work's amazing and they have hundred thousand followers on Instagram, um, you know, there's this guy um, whose work is just amazing uh, that I, I own one of his pieces. It's, it's right up here on the wall in front of my computer. And uh, yeah, I heard him talk in an interview and he was just saying, you know, like, yeah, he thinks people only really like his work because of certain technical things about the way he handles oil pain. And he's not really sure if, uh, you know, he knows the fundamentals and he's really like admiring of illustrators because they, they work so hard and their work is so technically clean and he doesn't know if, and all this stuff. And I was just like, dude, your work is sick. Like, it's so awesome. I look at it constantly for inspiration when I'm doing these like covers. Uh, it doesn't give you anything literal. It's just, you know, you're just like, ah, this is something really cool that it kind of gives you energy. Um, and then cover artists have the same thing. They're like, I'm not a real artist. Oh, I'm, I'm, a, I'm, I'm like, a, you know, so everybody has their thing. I don't, uh, these days I'm very reconciled to it. I'll say that. I don't, it's just my thing. It's just the thing I do. I like it. Yeah. I don't know if it's uh, good or bad. I don't have a particular amount of, you can't really have too much like pride in it or anything or else you'll screw, you screw up the work. Uh, you'll, mm -hmm. so it, so I don't know. I don't know how I feel about it. I guess it's kind of one of those questions. I think it's better not to answer, but uh, I like it enough to keep to keep doing it. I like yeah. the challenge. I mean, it's a job, right? I mean, at the, at the end of the day, do you, do, you, do you feel like it's work or do you do you enjoy doing it? It's it can be both. Again, mm -hmm. I think it's both. Uh, is that an iced coffee you're doing right there? No, it's soda. Uh. <laughs> I was like, oh man! No, go I've already, I've already had the coffee today. I've been up since five. Oh. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I was talking to you at night when I finished work for the night, and then you were like saying something about the morning, and I was like, oh, it is morning. <laughs> so at times like that, it feels a little worky, you know. Like I had to, oh, I, I was imagine. on a, a really tough push this past uh, month, uh, about like a month and a half of just constant like 12 to 14 hour days uh you know not seeing your girlfriend not not seeing your friends just paint 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 in this one tiny room alone so mm -hmm. times like that but there's like feeling it's good at the same time about that you know like the ability that you, you can do that and um how certain pieces come out good and when you do so many in a row the failures feel less dire because you're like, yeah, next one. <laughs> uh, I'll get them on the next one. Um, it's a, it's much more. Um, I think a lot of artists would agree with this that art is much more like, ah, it's more like being a stand-up comedian or something. Where it's your lifestyle, uh, it's your job. It provides some money, but when you sign up for it, I don't know what other people think. I don't even. I think I had any. I don't think I had any preconceptions about this, but uh, you're signing up for a whole life. And you have to be someone that can live that life. I think a lot of people that drop out of this pursuit of, of this kind of art, the lifestyle turns out not to match their inclinations. Uh, for me, I like it. I, I sort of thrive on a certain amount of alone time and, uh, and something I can really focus on a lot. Um, like I said earlier, I, I, have the, I have an ability or maybe the curse of being able to take things really seriously. <laughs> so 
um, to be kind of wrapped up in the work and think about it and and then just be like ah and then go and peace out for like a week or two like I just finished that huge deadline rush and now me and my girlfriend are going to get out of town for a few days and just do whatever we want and go to the beach or something and they can just do that I don't have to ask anyone for the time off or anything yeah so that's nice but you know that would be if I lead with that that's kind of like glamorizing what it is I don't know yeah again I think it just it has to be something that matches up with your interests I, I mm. like the uh it feels like a very high pursuit art does and covers and, and book art have been a great vehicle for this pursuit. But the pursuit for me really is not covers as much as it is trying to excel at a goal that you set. And if that's get the most attention with a book cover, that's a cool goal that you can focus on and say, okay, how can I get art to do that? But more and more, I've been doing these illustrated books and things like that, where your goals are, are kind of totally different and, so there's a lot of interest. There's a lot of interest and the job is never routine because every time you sit down to do a painting, all of a sudden you suck at painting again. So there's a lot there. There's a lot, there's a lot of fun, a lot of challenge. That's okay. I, mean, I, I feel like that same mindset is for a lot of things. I know writers always have that same mindset as the next time they start a book, they're like, I freaking suck at this. I forgot how to write. I don't know how to do this anymore. And I mean, yeah. I mean, it's on a, on a way smaller scale, but like you know, reviewers are the same way. You know, you finish a book and you go, that was amazing. Now I don't know what words are because you, yeah. you feel like you're kind of explaining books almost the same way all the time. And uh, we started, I started using this, uh, this uh, website called One Look. It's a dictionary website to get synonyms because I'm just running out of words because I've been doing this for so long. And yeah, I'm like, yeah. if I if I say that every book is magnificent and every cover is gorgeous, people are gonna be like, you got anything different? You got something new to talk about? You know? Yeah. After so, six uh, or seven years with almost any job, you start to be like, hey, wait a minute. <laughs> <laughs> this is yeah. starting to sound very similar. Yeah. Um, it's fun. It's fun to be in a career where you can shake things up a lot. Like I don't know, from the outside, maybe my work is recognizable to other people, but from for myself, in the years that I've been doing cover art, there have been a lot of at least internally big changes that led to different abilities in terms of how work could be created. And that part's fun for me, the process of, you know, I, like I was saying, since I started kind of late, I got really interested in how can you train, how can you develop uh, and, and try to get better. And those are the parts of this job, honestly, that I like the most, like when I'm working on a cover, that's kind of like a proof of something like that's like, all right, I've been dribbling. I've been practicing my, my three-pointers. Now, like, let's see how it goes. Oh, oh, all right, I'll go back in the gym. And then <laughs> being in the gym is actually the fun part, I think. Uh, at least it's become that way. Mm -hmm. I gotcha. Um, so we'll kind of, like, bounce back and forth between, like, serious questions and, like, how do we get here questions? Hey, um, whatever you want, man. This is – <laughs> This is, I'm, it was perfect timing because uh, if you would have got me yesterday, it just would have been like a chicken with its head cut off. But today, yeah, it's a long, I got long day yesterday, huh? No plan. Yeah, I will. I do this thing when I'm on a really tight deadline called shooting the moon, <laughs> which is like, uh, I have an ability through inertia to like stay up longer than a normal amount, but then I also need a full night's sleep. So what happens is you end up with a longer than 24 hour day. So every day you stay up for like 18 hours, but then sleep for nine. So then what happens is you end up three hours behind every single day. But the advantage of that is you actually get more time on the job because on the last day, 
you also get the whole night before the job is due, whereas normally that time would go to waste. Uh-huh. And uh, so I did one of those. And uh, for the last like month and a half, it's just been everywhere. So yeah, there's no, today's like my, did you ever, did you read the Murderbot stuff? Yeah. So you remember the part where he like uses his brain to be like active killware and it like in a exit strategy and he has to like put his brain back together. Yeah. That's what the day after a deadline rush is like. You're just like, oh, this piece of me goes here and what happened? <laughs> uh, it's like waking up out of a fugue state or something. So whatever, what a, bring it on, man. <laughs> right. What a, is what is usually like a, a deadline for you? Like how, how long from hey, we had this really great idea. Can you do this cover until it's due? Like, do you have like a month? Do you have two months? Do you have two weeks? I mean, like what, what is usually a, a time frame of when they need, I guess, at least maybe a, a rough draft back? Mm, it varies. Uh, and it's, um, it's always shorter than you'd like. Uh, the artists, I mean, I'm in a really fortunate position right now. So I don't want to complain about that, that, uh, I'm constantly booked out further and further right now, uh, which is kind of new, honestly. And so um, when something comes in, a lot of times they expect like, I don't know, me and a couple other cover artists kind of talk about this. I don't know if they just can't, if they, you know, we're kind of like, you you knew you were going to publish this. Like, why are you coming to me with only a few weeks? Um, But it just feels like the way things go, you know, I remember Greg Manchester, another mentor of mine, who's been a very prolific cover artist. At some point he was like, you know, it's like the Hydra. There's no one head to cut off your time. You're not going to be able to change the industry by just complaining that they never give you enough time. You're just going to yeah. have to get better and faster. Right. And I, I was like, ah, that's a good point. All right, I'm in. <laughs> uh, but, you know, I think usually, usually when I get an email, it's like, okay, hey, can we see sketches in like two to three weeks and a final in like five to six weeks? You know, a lot of times it's shorter. They want to turn around in about a month. Um, and if I didn't have anything else going on, that would be no problem, (laughs) but there's always, it's coming in and it's competing with, so you're like, how interested am I in this? How much money is it for my time versus what I already had booked? And can I delay what I already, so it's a constant game, but you really, yeah, you're just, you're not trying to do anybody dirty. You just, you got to make a living. And so you, if guaranteed work comes in and they're willing to wait, then you, you, boom, you can book that slot in your schedule. Now, the hard thing is when you book the slot in your schedule to protect that time and not take on other jobs on top of it, if they're really appealing. Yeah. Um, but, but uh, you know, once you learn that you can make any job cool, if you decide it's going to be cool, then there's no opportunity cost feeling. There's no like, well, I took this on, but they're coming at me with X-Men. It's like, well, X-Men's great, but, you know, I can make this new thing way cooler proportionately to what you know like i get to invent the look of this versus Mm -hmm. uh with x-men it's been done to death um do i want to paint some x-men shit yeah that would be awesome but at the same time um not bad enough that you know to like trample my schedule so um people and one of the reasons i'm working with more and more self-published authors they're amazingly flexible um which is great and uh you're generally happy to like book in advance and um they pay a lot faster than brick and mortar publishers uh who just like you know take their sweet time a lot of the time so um it's good to have a balance uh but yeah to to your question 
generally once the process with somebody starts it's about a month i mean because there's back and forth on the sketches and different covers need different amounts like with book one it's always way tougher because you're kind of like setting the look um but you know like for the stuff i did for subpress with red rising after cover one like i knew what covers two and three were kind of pretty much going to be like you have an idea there's only so many places this can go um ways the theme can evolve so when you're doing the sketches i'm really not sketching scenes i'm sketching like book concepts and i don't know i don't say a lot in my emails so i don't know how the art directors take that but when i've talked to art directors one-on-one they've said oh no that's good we like that it's a lot more um it's a lot more ammo in their meetings because really what you're doing is like helping them out in their meetings like they've Mm got to have options and things to show and you just you need to create a lot of dialogue with your work and um which is good because if you get in that habit doing it with the art directors and in the client meetings and stuff then you know that the the work's going to create some dialogue out there in the world too. Hopefully, if it can generate interest over a call, over a boardroom table just as a sketch, then you know you're onto something good. Um, so the that's the sketch process is really a lot of back and forth, and then sometimes the final is like that. But generally, no. I mean, generally, if you do, I I'll say this because I know we're gonna get around to that question of have you done bad covers? I'm gonna be like, oh hell yeah, <laughs> let me show you some of them. But uh, if you do your job. You really don't you, you really don't get a lot of feedback on the final usually by then i mean as an artist it's easy to be like oh did i go too red did i not go red enough but like if you look at your painting versus the infinite myriad of things it could have been uh-huh. coming out of the ether of nothing it's you know whether it's a little more red or a little red, same freaking painting man uh and so <laughs> you know that you gotta learn to just let that go and be like for what it was supposed to be it did it you know it's a thing so really the sketch process is the painting process for covers i think um so that's where i've really learned to take my time and if the client takes their time on feedback for sketches and you you end up with an approved sketch like a week before the cover then i just now i'm much more comfortable just being like this is gonna be late like Mm -hmm. we we worked really hard and i'll go through any amount of turmoil to get the right thing in the sketch where everyone is happy but you know then i still have to paint it so right I gotcha. Um, yeah, yeah it, it, it is interesting because, you know, with, with indie published books, you know, they kind of have their own timeline. So, you know, you could be contacted at the very beginning of it and go, hey, I'd really love to have you. This is my idea, blah. Well, the thing is, it's like with traditionally published books, sometimes they're announced like a year, two years, sometimes even before that. And you're like, you would think they'd want to get like a cover pretty quick, not announce it or show it or do a reveal or anything, but at least have like, you guys going, hey, this book is coming out in a year. Can you give us something in six months? But I guess yeah, you know, maybe, yeah, maybe that would be great. That much, would probably it? having that much lead time would probably like kill your drive, I guess. I mean, because you know, like, okay, I've got six months to do that. So I can just set that aside and take all this other stuff. And then you know, that depends. time gets down yeah. the road. And you're like, oh crap, I got like a week to do this. That's that's yeah. I mean, I've, what's the? It's like some economist or whatever that came, it was some law that's like the job's going to take however much time you allot for it, uh, uh, which definitely always proves to be true. On the other hand, the more time you have, the better the jobs come out typically. So there's right. that. Um, it's weird. I, I guess it goes both ways. But um, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know what their meetings are like and what their schedules are like that they don't have stuff more in advance. But uh, uh does, right? what what if there was. I mean, again, like I said, the, the amount of t- work the time takes in the end, it's going to be kind of the same no matter what. But 
but it's yeah. just knowing when they need it. Like mm. uh, the, the rush I was just on right now, when the cover came in, they were like, all right, we need the final buy sometime in January. And I looked at my schedule and like, I was booked in February on, but like I had time in January. So I said, okay, let's do it. Uh, but then the sketch feedback and stuff took so long that it was February by the time we got an approved thing. And now I'm in a jam. Cause I was like, well, these people in February have been waiting for six months. I got to do their job actually before I do yours mm-hmm. because that's how like commitment works. Right. <laughs> they were like, but we, we said we needed this in January. And I was like, yeah, but it ain't January no more. I'm like, I'm sorry. Uh, I didn't control that this, this job went a little slower. And, yeah. um, you know, I, it sounds like, uh, hopefully nothing I'm saying sounds like, a, you know, in transcripts and stuff, things can get lost in translation. This is all being said with a smile on my face uh, for the record. Um, it's not, no specific job is a problem. No specific individuals are a problem. There's, there's little tight scrapes in this industry, but there's, in general, and I would say even down to the specifics, I can't even think of individuals that defy this rule. It's a really good, loving, closely knit industry with a lot of people that are all just trying to solve problems together. And sometimes part of the problem is the timeline. And I am notoriously crap at helping with that part because I will just not give it to you until it's ready. I, because from my point of view, if you get mad and fire me, and this never happened, but if, if someone was to just be like, yeah, that Tommy, he's never on time, so screw him. Uh, that would be better to me than having work out there that sucks. Because right. in the first couple of years of my career, I did enough work that sucked. You know, you have to get by and you don't know very much yet. And, you know, like I said, I was coming from behind. and So, you know, you just you do whatever you have to do to get by. But uh, there's enough bad Tommy Arnold art out there now that uh, I'm trying to you know, I'm just, you just like Dave Palumbo said, you just, it hurts. You get tired of that. And so uh, these days, I think it's a more important outcome for the work to be good than, than anything else. And so if you have a rush, probably don't come to me. Just, I'll put that out there. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> so I don't know. <laughs> um, what are, uh, what are the, so this is probably going to be more from like an indie side than it would be a traditionally published because I'm not sure exactly what avenue it would take at that point, but what are the elements an author needs to prepare before approaching you for a cover? Like, in other words, you know, what do you want from an author? Like, do they just need to tell you, hey, this is a synopsis. Hey, this is a scene I had in mind. Hey, this is, do you read any of the book before making a decision or does the author just go, this is what I want make it happen um again i'll say it pretty much happens all those ways uh the ideal scenario is that they show up with uh money and the book and because if they with self-published clients they take half up front because no one who's serious says no to that so you weed out a lot of people right away you book the time and you know for sure you've got someone you can do business with because they're already doing business with you um that's all really important um that there's certain rules you set as an artist that once you set the rule if you if you had a good reason for it and i stole this quote from phil hale then you don't have to think anymore you just follow your own rules and so i do that part i just say here's the rate and i always make sure the rate is scary uh so that gets rid of a lot of people too and if they say yes i'm good with your scary rate and here's half up front then you're like great okay this is going to be awesome then because that means all the rules are set up to make sure we can do a good job if you did that part and you have the book already then we're gonna it's gonna come out great um 
I read all the books. I read everything I've ever worked on. If it's available, if all I can get is like a rough draft, I read that with all the typos and everything. Uh, authors have probably horrified some of the stuff I've read, but I, I think that you get every form of art is about communicating something through gestalt that you couldn't specifically point to as, as a human, you're trying to communicate um, language is, com is a type of communication. You're even like evolved thought is just a tool for getting by in this world. And, but there's things you want to share in life, right? There's things that uh, feelings that a book, you know, we don't really read a book to know what happens in the story. That's what keeps us reading, but there's like a feeling you get or a, a, a type of humor that pervades a story that can make you laugh. Uh, these different overtones and undertones and all this stuff. And so anyway, um, all that stuff, you can get told and told and told by an author what the book feels like, or you can read one page of the book and you already know what the book feels like. And um, I think if there's any knack I have in this field, it's just being able to read a book and find an, equ an equivalent gestalt in pictures to, to the feeling of reading that book. Um, and so part of that is probably that art directors and the, the people who like my work that hire me, who are publishing their own work, uh, they tend to like the same kinds of things as me. So they write stories that maybe I find easier to, to translate. That could be it for sure. But uh, I find that process really enjoyable to, to try and go from, from one to the other. Um, and the coolest pictures show up that way because I didn't write the thing. So I'm responding to a totally novel piece of stimulus like uh, I don't get to like if it was up to me, I'd just paint a big face right in the middle, looking really pretty like aggressive and angry probably every time. Like that's the fine. That's all I need in a painting. Um, so anything else comes from the book. So. Um, so, yeah, if they have a book, I want to read the book. Um, and uh, if they have really clear ideas for the scene and things like that, the, the best thing they could do is be honest about that, because if they have that. I'll still read the book and, and that information will inform it, but I'll be reading the whole book looking to supplement their thing, you know, okay, how can I make your shot and what, what can I find to attach to the same shot? Um, if you don't have a clear idea, that's fine too. People sometimes are embarrassed to just be like, I want to cover and I have no clue. Great. That's also great. <laughs> just be honest. I think um, honesty is really important. The toughest jobs are when people think they know what they want, and they're not really sure like oh we want uh, i'm trying to think of an example that's not real so that i don't get <laughs> just <laughs> just to somebody just dropping like an rpg in my window um you know they they want like it to be like ah oh, this like scary demon and you paint it and they're like why is he so scary you're like he said scary demon I'm like yeah but who would want to buy this it's so scary and you're like please use a different word than haunting demon and they're like yeah we wanted a haunting demon what you should say uh, um yeah well, these words like they really do mean things so yeah just uh whatever just be honest that's i guess what i would ask of of clients I gotcha. I'm, yeah, you're, you're sitting there saying you can just do a face on every card. I always come back to the one that's on your main page, the Song of Fire. Uh, oh, yeah, that, that was a fun one. It's gorgeous, by the way. I told you I wasn't going to use that word. It's No, you didn't. You just said you gorgeous. use it a lot. <laughs> I do. I do. Um, yeah, that was but a yeah, fun one. That's, that's, that's phenomenal. Um, 
and I, and I think like that's like the one that always comes to mind whenever whenever I see your name come across something. I was like, oh yeah, he did that one, you know. Um, yeah, you have but, pieces like that. Uh, you familiar with the animation work of Miyazaki? It's not Studio, Studio Ghibli. Yeah, yeah, did, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Wind rises and Spirited Away and all that stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, he, you know, he did a Totoro, uh, which is like this huge international phenomenon. This character Totoro that, that they sell backpacks and you can get little chibi pets of Totoro and stuff. Yeah. And Miyazaki went through this period where he just like hated Totoro. He hated Totoro, and people were like, "Why? Why is he so mad at Totoro?" They're like, "Oh, Totoro's his demon." He feels he'll never be able to do anything that can get him out from being eclipsed by Totoro. <laughs> He's like, his, his creative career died with Totoro. And so me and, me and Mike have this joke about like, which piece is currently your Totoro? And uh, I don't hate that piece. I really like it. But um, it's, it's another one that it came out of just someone didn't have a brief. I just read the story and I was allowed to do whatever I wanted. And I was listening to a lot of hip hop at the time. And there was like this tiny nugget. It was... You know, and there was this tiny bit in the story where this guy like looks at this uh, like hip hop group on the ferry to Staten Island, and there's like fire coming out of their eyes that only he can see. That's like they're 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 these like flame people, but they're kind of like in disguise as normal humans. And I was like, that's it. That's an awesome picture, and uh, and went for it. But it was not. Yeah, no, very few people have come to me about, like, a lot of people say they like that one. And nobody has commissioned me to paint anything like it uh, at all, basically. Uh, so there's always, that's always weird, you know, but you if have, I, if I ever do, if I ever do write the book and I keep saying I'm going to write, I'm going to come to you and going to commission you to do one very similar to that. I did, I did get one commission that was, that was based on, it was a self-published author. Are you on my site right now? I think I saw you. Yeah clicking yeah. if you go to yeah. the like more work section and scroll down there's one of like a dude's like kind of standing in front of a microphone and there's another head like screaming yeah and uh that one was the commission came in that he was like That's i really like this piece you did for song of fire but his book was a little different and he wanted a much cooler palette so um you know it ended up a little different but um so yeah i guess there, there has been one time one time that that one came back around i think is one one similar would be wizard of the pigeons um, I mean, it's a little bit further back, but you still, you still, you know, have a face and it's very centered on the face. Uh, at least the one, tell, oh, the, the, the front the cover. cover. Yeah. Oh yeah. 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 I'm a sucker for that. Um, very, you know, there's this like rule you get taught in art school. Every rule you get taught in art school is total garbage and you should break all of them. <laughs> uh, pro tip right there. But uh, they're always like, don't, don't show people looking at the camera. Why the fuck not? People do that in the world all the time. Every picture you ever see. Because it's weird if you don't. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's like freaky. Uh, and it's like artsy to not, you know, have them looking at the camera and stuff sometimes. Sometimes you like that. But I found that for myself, uh, there's like a kind of aggressive undercurrent that I really like that's possible in artwork. And uh, having someone look right at you, in pictures, it's very common. But in the real world, it's kind of rare like we don't make even through this like we'll never really make that direct kind of eye contact that you can make um in the world for this like that brief moment and then you know somebody looks away uh it's kind of tough um so i found that the confrontational aspect of having someone look right out when the character needs to show a certain like strength or boldness that that in fact i i honestly think at this point i'm overusing it but you got to do what you love right so 
Um, there's going to be a lot of people looking right the fuck at you in upcoming Tommy Arnold art covers. I will say that. I was joking to my dad. We were looking at some recent work. Um, and I was joking that if I ever make an art book, it's going to be called People Look Down at You While Embers Float Around. <laughs> That's it. That's my whole thing right there. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Um Okay, so I wanna I wanna know what a what is an example of a great cover and why? And it can be one of yours, it can be one of your favorite ones from another artist, but I wanna know what what makes it a great cover in your mind. Hmm. Uh, it's a t- it's a tough question. <laughs> I'm just thinking I'm thinking through examples. Uh, you know, I keep all kinds of like folders for stuff like this in my computer where whenever I see a good one, I, I save it down. It's really kind of an intangible in terms of there's so many things I feel that have to go right. Um, you need you need the right look uh, for the book, I think, is really important. There's like a, a combination of two things, which is can it generate excitement and does it show off the book's individuality um there's a there's like a third element which is is it close enough to what people are used to so there's this kind of rule with creativity that's um they did a lot of research on this in music and i just sort of assume the same thing is true in art that people want something new they always say they want something new but if it's truly novel they, they have no bridge to get there. And so they reject it. So you need, um, like when Heya first came out, um, like everybody, they had this AI program at the time that they would play new pop music into. And it would tell you how big of a hit the song was going to be. And I don't know how that was built, but it worked apparently. And when they put in Heya, everybody, every one of the time they ran through the program and every different iteration of the program was like, Heya is the, the highest scoring thing you've ever put in me. We love it. Everyone's going to love Hey Ya. It's going to make a jillion dollars. And then they put Hey Ya on the radio and everybody at the radio companies were already singing it at their lunch breaks and stuff. Everybody loved this song and it was a total dud. Every station they played it on, people, they also had a program to track when people switched away. As soon as Hey Ya came on, everybody would switch away, switch to a different station. They were like, what the fuck? We know like this machine says it's an amazing song. We think it's amazing. Are we crazy? Is the machine crazy? Is everybody else crazy? And what they realized is it was just too many steps uh, mm-hmm. away from what had, because people expect to hear a certain kind of thing on the radio. And so songs that you always hear on the radio, like, um, and I can dump on these people because they're not in my industry, but like, you know, there's like certain like uh, Maroon 5 or bands like that that you're just like, I don't like this, but it's always on the radio. Right. Um, in the industry, they have this word sticky for those. And if a song is sticky, it's like uh, people will st- stay like very low switch rate. They won't switch off to another station. And so they started just playing like, they usually would only play one or two sticky songs per hour, but they started playing like, all the like three sticky songs, then hey ya, then three sticky songs. <laughs> Just putting it with the kind of stuff you expected to hear, uh-huh. and and eventually people's brains went, oh yeah, hey ya, I love that song. And like <laughs> so, they just like if you look at the radio because they have to save all their transcripts of what they played. It's just like sometimes they would play if they had a top sticky song, they'd play it like a, an Oreo on either side of hey ya, and 
people listening to the radio, I guess, must have just been like, what the fuck is this? Like, I'm happy because I listen to the station all day for these songs, but I'm also getting, hey, yeah, that's interesting. So anyway, all that to say, there is a certain, um, and, you know, I said earlier that Lauren Penapinto has been a great mentor. She's taught me a lot about navigating this. Um, what are the facets of cover art and what do we expect to see and how can that be done in a novel way? Um, and it's really like the challenge you face um, in a lot of different, you know, we were talking about through blogging or authors talk about this, that uh, conventions exist for a reason. They tell you a little bit about what you're going to get, right? If the painting was so unlike a fantasy painting, nothing had ever been done like it, then nobody on, in the store would know it's fantasy. They wouldn't even pick it up. I mean, maybe it would be in the fantasy section. So we have things like that to help us. But on the internet or whatever, nah, maybe not. So we need to speak to our audience, but we also need to excite them. So there's this sweet spot right before you tip off into crazy, that's like, it's, it's pushing the boundary of the convention in a way that acknowledges the convention. That's really important. Um, and then when that can be done uh, in a way that celebrates the book's individuality and says that the story has something unique to say, that really, that's like the, the combination that excites people. And, um, you know, obviously no one has the formula because all the publishers would just be dying to get it. And none of them have told me that they have it. But uh, you, you gotta sometimes you gotta really fight for an idea and when when a really good idea shows up it fights for itself so these days i try not i really don't fight for anything anymore i just do the best thing i can and if they go with the samey one that we've seen a hundred times then i just go ah, i didn't crack it this time i didn't get the new thing that's uh all i wanted it to be but then other times you get one and it seems to just slip through the cracks like uh you know, when I was doing the cover for Gideon, um, that was supposed to be a portrait. Um, and we did like, I did like several sketches I was really happy with that were portraits. And I was like going to paint all the paint, like dripping on her face, like really deep and structural. And um, it was going to be more like the Song of Fire painting. And I had done this, but, I, but when I read the book, I had this idea of her like walking through all these bones looking kind of baller. And I had not really done a cover like that. And I sketched it up. And she kept asking for different versions of the face and I kept doing them. And finally she was like, I just can't beat your like standing up one. I guess we'll do that. It's growing on me. And so it just kind of fought for itself in that way. And I don't know if that one is, uh, people have, have spoken highly of the cover look for that series. But um, when I think of a really beautiful cover, you know, I just saw on Instagram today, Irene had posted the mechanicals for chosen and the beautiful, uh, which uh, has, um, cover art by greg ruth and uh that's an amazing cover god it's so good um so that that comes to mind just because it's on the you know it's on the tip of my mind i guess uh there's there's been other covers you know you just see something that's really interesting and eye-catching but in a way that you're not used to like um oh uh james jean did a cover for the shape of water novelization that was really quite beautiful and it's it's with the type that it's so beautiful when you see it on your on its own you're like that's just like a low-key drawing it's cool but like but as a cover it just was like it basically was like only a type cover and then then it hits you like oh like it's how much they downplayed what an insane drawing it is that you really find it it, it does feel like it it's like seeing something underwater that you find this drawing on this cover, I don't know, at least that was the way it looked when I saw it in the bookstore. That was the experience I got of it. And so when you see a book, you just, sometimes you get that experience and 
like I haven't read that novelization of The Shape of Water because I'm not the kind of person that goes into Barnes and Noble and buys whatever takes my fancy. Uh, but if I was, and I, I definitely would have picked it up. And I did pick, I picked it up and looked at it and I was like, sweet, I'll steal these ideas. And then I put it back down <laughs> on the shelf. So stuff like that, um, you know, and there's artists you mentioned that just do a, a bang up job. Like I've definitely seen Richard Anderson covers where my instant response was to just curse. Um, you know, there was just something about it that, you know what it's is or what it's kind of saying, but uh, you haven't seen anything quite like that. Um, so yeah, I think that's that's a, a really long way of saying what I said at the very beginning, which is just those those few things coming together yeah. in a way that that's that's new in the sweet spot of new. I gotcha. All right, so we're coming to a long your long awaited question, which we talked about at the beginning, and then you said you oh, wanted yeah. to talk about it again. So <laughs> sure. I want I want to know what is what is an example of a bad cover of yours. Because you, you, you've told me you have you have more than one. <laughs> There's plenty for sure. Uh, let me, you know, I've got like a folder here of like all the work I ever did pretty much uh, as a professional. Let's, let me just crack this open and I'll see if I can. Uh, It'll take me just a sec, but uh, if you get good? where you like need to go at some point, you let me know. No, right? no, no. I, I realize I've been re fun. really long-winded with everything. <laughs> no, I, I think it's been great. It's it's been nice talking with you. So yes, um, I, I have nowhere to be. <laughs> okay, great then. Um, folders. By the way, I wanted to let you know. Uh, I, I definitely read the Unbroken by C.L. Clark mainly based on your cover art for it. I thought that was a cool story. I, and I read it super early. Yeah, I thought it was fantastic. Um, and I'm actually uh I'm actually chatting with uh with with uh with CL next week. So oh, awesome. uh, I'm I'm looking awesome. forward to that. Tell tell her I said hey and thanks for this for the good reads. Absolutely. Um all right, so like early in my career, I think I like kind of was on to some cool stuff visually, but like there's a lot of technical stuff that I wasn't that happy with. Um mm -hmm. And then as I, like, as I went on, I got more technically proficient and less interesting. And then hopefully now it's starting to balance out between the two again. <laughs> um, so like for the first little while, the work's actually pretty acceptable because it's just got a kind of like interest that I guess carries it. Uh, a lot of that was in the technique and stuff though. Like I feel like at the beginning I had a, really worked hard to go, but I didn't, you know, like the work was kind of riding on its technique, um, in a, in a lot of ways. Uh, but it, that holds it, that'll hold work and carry it a certain amount of distance, but it sucks as an artist to, uh, to be afraid, you know, to like have something you want to do and not be sure if you can, or, or for the whole process to involve fear. And that was really what my process had become was a very fear riddled sort of process. Uh, and, um, so I just needed to be able to actually do stuff. I felt, you know, there was stuff I wanted to do. Um, I did, I did a cover for a, it's, you know, it's really hard to say that you, that you bonked one um, uh, publicly and cause you don't want the author to feel like you don't like how it came out or you don't want to hurt their opinion of the thing. Um, but I did a, I did two covers for a series with, I think the first book was called The Guns Above from Tor. And uh, 
Oh, let me see what comes up when you Google that. Yeah, is it the one, uh, they're like, I guess like on an airship? Yeah. So, yeah, I did that one. And then there's a second one called By Fire Above. Mm -hmm. And both of those, personally, I'm not real happy with. Um, and again, uh, you know, I don't want to, they, and I think the people at Tor really saved these paintings, like the type treatment and things like that uh, really does a lot. Um, and the second one I think is probably a little better, but that first one is just like an, an ode to everything. I don't know how to do and everything like, this is one where I wasn't allowed to read it. So not, not allowed to just, it wasn't really offered as part of the gig. And at the time they didn't always have the, the, the stories to give. Mm -hmm. um, and it just, you know, I tried to do certain new things, but they were beyond my scope and I didn't really know how to incorporate them. There's just parts that ended up technically really shoddy and uh, the composition was really all over the place. And I just, you know, it was just like, I'd sketched a thing. I didn't really possess the competency to finish. And I just personally don't really think steampunk or Zeppelins or any of that stuff is cool. <laughs> so I, I, <laughs> you know, I tried to focus on other parts of it, parts I could like, you know, like the military, you know, outfits and stuff like that. And I think that's, that's fairly effective, but there's still just, you know, this doesn't really show anything new about anything. Uh, mm -hmm. It's not, it's not visually all that strong. Uh, you know, I just, the people at Tor really uh, saved this one for us, but in general, I, uh, yeah, I have regret here that I, I didn't, you know, yeah, that's what what happens when you do one that's not, not great for you is even if it does its job and, you know, it's harder, like if you get praise about that cover, you just like, oh, oh, don't, no, don't say that to me. Like that hurts even more than if you admitted it's garbage. Um, <laughs> and I'm not saying that about this one, that it's garbage, but um, this was, this was around the period where like, I could just feel things missing in my ability that I knew I was having to, you know, this, this cover has a lot of style, but no, mm -hmm. no, but no soul and no style because of it's, it's got so much style. And uh, I started experimenting a lot more at that time, trying to figure out what it was that I, I was missing and how to get it. And, uh, and there's, you know, when you, when you do have fear, you fight more with your clients and things like not fight, but you, you put up a fight to some degree about certain things like, I did the cover for Imagine Effects magazine uh, around the same time. You should be able to Google that that up if you just Imagine FX and then my name. Uh, it's like this girl, kind of Tomb Raider style girl, like falling and she's catching the title of the magazine. Mm -hmm. um, and like, it's passable, but I see this as a big, uh, yeah. I mean, and conceptually it, it holds up, but this was a real struggle with the client because I didn't actually possess the ability to do this painting. And so I had sketched something that I got really attached to and attachment is like in all of life, pretty much the worst thing you can have as a human, but especially as an artist, uh, if you mm -hmm. love something too much, oh man, you are in for trouble. I did this sketch I really loved and they like wanted to change it. And I just could not deal with that. I was like, no, it can't change. Like, they were like, it's the cover. It needs to have a face. Like girls' faces sell really well. Can you just turn her head so we can see her face? And I was like, fine. <laughs> and <laughs> I ended up doing it in this way that I was just never happy with. And uh, 
yeah, so I don't know. There's just there's examples like that where you you know the thing does its job and um but you're somehow as an artist you're not happy or they they kind of remind you of things you got wrong or or didn't mm. didn't didn't do right. Um there's well, not I you know say, I mean, you know, you, you talk about how you you don't love the guns above cover that you did. I can actually see, and if, if, if it's okay that I say this, I can see how you improved with that same design into the second book. Like you can tell, you can tell where you have improved between those two covers. Um, I feel like this, I feel like by fire above is the word cleaner. Is that, is that maybe what I'm looking for? It just, it looked like the edges look a little bit crisper. Yeah. Although it's still like a, just a mess of, um, of technique really like that one's pretty loose um there's a there's something really important to covers which is value and how value is arranged and uh so like the the ones that i named uh, actually um as examples when i thought of really good covers are very low key in that the values are all really close together um even for that like chosen and beautiful in general it's this very like vanilla um palette that um that leaves a lot of room or type and other things. So you actually, you need an in, image that's striking and also leaves a lot of room, which is a really specific little kind of dance to have to do. And in some ways I rebel against that in my mind, just because uh, it leads to a certain feeling of sameness in, in the way that uh, values are placed and things like that. Like in the cover for By Fire Above, you know how the bottom half is all darker where the type is? Mm -hmm. they, they did that, I didn't do that. Uh, mm -hmm. Nowadays, I would account for that in my, design of the painting but my painting is actually as bright as it is behind him that it's that level of bright under the railing and then there's like a splash of water at the bottom that's also that bright and that that's just not good value design so, but now like for Gideon or uh, Harrow the painting is actually built in such a way that they don't have to do a drift of value across the bottom because the painting is designed to have that drift in it naturally so you're trying to build these spaces for you know, and a lot of times now uh, a habit that me and Micah have taken to is painting with type in the file. So like on the desert prints, which just came out or um, uh, 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 oh, I can't say the name of it. The one I just finished last night, uh, I'll paint with the type in the file. If they will give me like four placement only type or something like that. And just flickering the type on and off really sets the key for you in a way where your mind goes, oh, it needs to be brighter here. Oh, it needs to be this. Um, it can kind of like guide you, but yeah, back then I think um, I still was doing my paintings more than cover paintings. And not only that, but they weren't really my paintings. They were like paintings of my fear, paintings of my, um, everything I, is it, everything in this painting I'm like avoiding or hiding from or dodging. There's like this lack of convictions. Like I have things I want to say, but I'm speaking through the glass darkly or like over the, through one of those like cans with a freaking string on it. Like, can you hear me? I'm trying <laughs> to say airships are cool, but it's coming out as blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and, uh, and so just learning to speak more like clearly and cleanly. You're not like, you're not, are you recording the screen on this? Yeah. All right. Well then just don't show it. Is there going to be a link to this later? Like, it's just, I think it's, I'm, I'm just going to share it between me and my, and my, my contributor. I'll All right. I'll just, I'll, I'll share a, let me show you some art that's new just so you can kind of see what I mean in terms of the difference. Yeah. yeah. Let me see if I can share my screen. And actually I can pause it if you want me to. 
Uh, no, leave it running in case there's any right. good transcript of the information. Just these works are like currently NDA. So just, uh, okay. you know, just bear with me on that. Uh, okay, let me get back into Zoom and share my screen. Only the host can share in this meeting, it says. Can you enable the screen uh, sharing for Yeah. There we go. Should be able to do it now. Let's give it a shot. All right. Awesome. Thank you. All right, starting the broadcast in. Okay, can you? I need to stop. There you go. It says you're, it says you're sharing. There we go. Okay, so can you see all these images? Yeah. Right. So now, nowadays, when you're trying to uh, speak about something, you know, like what this what this has is a level of clarity. Like, you know, the, that cover for like by fire above and stuff. Yeah, they're supposed to be like rain pelting the deck and stuff, so it kind of works. But mm -hmm. if you look at the one for the guns above, there's like all this like cloudiness around her and her face and her legs and the ships and everything is just kind of hidden. Like I'm I'm really hiding from what has to be done, but you know, like here's like the cover for the desert prints that we just did, and like it looks this great. Time, by the way, I, I saw Peter post it uh, the other day. Uh, oh, thanks. This one was a lot of work. This was a lot of fun too, though. Um, and hopefully, it felt like they wanted something that was going to be kind of a little more unique looking. Which I felt like this was on that border that. So I was more excited about this job in some ways because I felt it was a chance to push um, kind of some conventions in a way that I hadn't got to do before. Um, so I hope I hope it goes well. Uh, but there's a type of clarity in like, you know, the cleanness of I feel everything I'm saying here. I'm not diffusing it. I'm not hiding it. I'm really just saying. It. And mm -hmm. uh, when you speak as an artist, of course, it's going to have something that people think of as a style, but you you can't help it. Right. Like as you and I have been talking. I'm sure you could analyze my conversational pattern and say Tommy has a style of speaking. He does this and he does this. And yeah, that's probably true. But if I analyzed it, I wouldn't be able to speak at all, right? I'd just shut mm -hmm. down. Uh, when you're starting as an artist, uh, for me anyway, I was really in love with people's styles, um, which is just a way of saying their art, but you get confused about what it is you love about their art. And you can't separate how they speak from what they say. And you can't figure out how you would say it. So if I've seen Dave Grove say, you know, beautiful ballet dancer, and then I want to say it, I say it the same way. But really, that's not maybe what I would say if I've been to the ballet, maybe what I would say is strong, amazing, dynamic ballet dancer, you know, there's something different that I would say, or there'd be more stuttering, or there'd be less stuttering, you know, every artist, they just have. Um... See, I think they should do they should do like a faux leather bound edition for that cover. That would be cool. Um, I don't know what just gonna just do. because of the way you know the way you've got the designs outside of like yeah her because it, it, it almost be... looks like you know one of those those Barnes and Noble like uh, I mean, oh yeah you know, yeah you know like they did like a Nazi Boys and American Gods and uh, they do like oh, the Stephen um... King ones but it's like the faux hardcover with the full pages but that looked oh, like just the way they've got, that you've got the design toward the outside. I think that they, they should do like a faux faux uh, leather hardcover for that. I think that'd be really a really should, neat gimmick. Email them and tell them that would be cool. I think <laughs> he was talking about doing. Um, he asked me to do one of the reasons this one took so long is all the gold elements in the border are on their own layers, so mm -hmm. they were gonna mask off all that stuff and do the border in like gold foil or like raised or something mm -hmm. like that. And I thought that would be pretty sweet too. Um, I don't know if that ended up happening, but uh, it. 
there was a lot of work in the file to make sure it could happen. You know, one of the things, the challenges of being a cover artist is you're not just delivering, sometimes you are just delivering a painting, but a lot of times you're delivering like a utility, like an object that can be used. And so making sure the file has certain types of clean selections or, you know, not just where, where can the type go, but like, how can this be functional for them? And this was like the height of that, just every little one of these, all this like elaborate stuff that you just feel, these like swirls and stuff. That's uh -huh. all on like an individualized layer where there's like a perfectly clean selection so that they could mask it all off for foil and stuff if they wanted to. And that's, grief. yeah, it's just a lot of extra time and, <laughs> and effort to, to make all that happen. But um, so anyway, I mean, hopefully that's, so that's a good example in that there's like a cleanliness and there's still like smoke and embers and stuff. And yet it's more, it's just more like plain spoken and clear. And it's not, I'm not hiding from anything in this painting. I think in art, even if you, if you have a holistic concept for something and, and you speak about that plainly, uh, it'll carry. Um, mm -hmm. But before I didn't have clean concepts. So I, I kind of must it up with style and eventually I figured out what are my coping mechanisms? Like when I don't think I can do the job, how do I hide from the job? But now mm -hmm. I try to really actually do my job. And that just leads to a very different type of picture. This is another one that uh, hasn't come out yet. That's um, wow. This is for uh, actually for Tamandra Whitecastle for her like next series. Uh, we started doing covers for that. Um, and it's a bunch of like Viking shield maidens uh, in like a magical sort of Viking setting. So um, anyway, but I feel like this has like the looseness and in, in things in certain areas that I wanted when I was starting, but it's not achieved through trying to be loose. It's just achieved through trying to paint well and there's a very different aspect there at the same time i think it's it's better designed for type and things like that i mean all the brightness is at that tiny band at the bottom but in general it's paintings in a, in a much more narrow key in some ways than something like the guns above where the background and the figure are so separate from each other and so there's you know there's things like that that each cover you're doing a special dance of like how can i use what i technically know to also make an object that will be appreciable in its own right and it, you know, it becomes more about the book than the art, um, mm -hmm. really. So anyway. Um, Man. So that is, that is just stunning. Uh, like I could say that like, a, like on a, you know, like a movie, like a movie poster or something. Like it's very cinematic looking. Just thanks, like, you, know, you got the, you got the torn up shield and then the, you know, the, the red and the clouds in the background and stuff. It's just real neat. That was actually the one where I started this. This was a cover where I started looking at film posters more specifically. In fact, Tamandra actually kicked that off. We were dealing with the sketches and uh, I don't know if I have the other sketch on here, but I think I can drop it in my, we were doing some different stuff. Kind of like, we were like thinking of this book as like, which Marvel movie is this? And so we started out with like, maybe it's more like guardians in terms of how the cover will be. And so I had done this. Yeah. I'm going to upload it. If you have a sec, I'll just upload yeah. it so I can share it. There's this, um, this cover. I really wanted to do this cover. And so, uh, I'm hoping to get something like this in the future that I can do, but this was, uh, yeah, here, I'll show you a couple other just like insider things since none of this yeah. is going to get like screen shared. And since we're just chilling, uh, this and some of the alternate sketches for that. And yeah, here we go. All right. 
So I guess you'll be able to see all this as it happens, but let's hop into my drive. My computer will work. There we go. I'm on my iPad, actually. It's one of the reasons it's also weird. All right. So we did this. Uh, this was like the sketch from like the Guardian's point of view. Um, and like, it's just a very different kind of feel. I, I think it's still like attention grabbing and there's a lot of room for type and things like that. But it just, it's a very, this would have just been such a different cover than what we ended up doing, right? What we ended up oh, doing yeah. had a much more classical feel in some ways. Um, whereas this speaks a lot about the, the sort of jokiness and the camaraderie between all the characters. And then we had also done. I say it's um, almost uh, almost kind of like uh, like Anderson's like Kings of the Wild. Oh yeah, yeah, I could see that, and that one or, was, uh, or I guess the same one for like the Blackhawks. I I I I, I kind of see what you go, and, and I wish, you know, I hope maybe in the future you could do a cover that's kind of similar to this one because I I really like that. I, I honestly, it kind of it pops. It's, it's different, and yeah, that that's, kind of whole like band kind of mentality or you know, whatever yeah. is pretty neat. Yeah, that's what I was feeling too. And a lot of times you soften clients up with sketches. Like a sketch can be a proof for an art director or a client of something that, you know, it's like they need time to think about it. Uh, yeah. So I actually learned that from Drew Struzan, the poster artist. Uh, he was like, I always gave my clients something they weren't ready for so that one day they would be. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> that means that like down the road, I can do one that'll be kind of surprising for them. And then we had also done a sketch like this that was just a single figure and mm -hmm. um, uh, kind of more of the Captain America feel for this yeah. one, right? So we were just cycling through because she really liked that analogy of which Marvel movie is this. And so that was a good framework for us just because there's a lot of options there. And so we started looking at posters and talking about what did we really want it to be. And in the end, uh, we just I just did a quick little blurb of, I was like, okay, so like you really want them both. And I just knocked in like the values and I was like, all right, well, we can kind of do it like this. And this was enough for her. She was like, yes, that absolutely. Cause she had seen the colors and values and stuff on the other one. And, you know, we've painted together before. So she knew that was going to come together. Um, so it, you know, from there, uh, just a matter of making it kind of finished. Um, I uploaded some other stuff. This was the alternate sketch for uh, Unbroken. Oh, I kind of love that. <laughs> yeah. They, they really like this one too. They they we might repurpose this one for book two. Oh please do! Oh my um, gosh! <laughs> yeah, I was I was pretty happy with this one, but it was another one where I did this and the standing shot, and the client went for the standing shot. I think they were kind of riding the coattails of it was like a little similar ish to Gideon in the pose, and they were like, I think that that kind of like the figure sort of striding forward in the middle is almost becoming its own little cover trope yeah yeah and i'm <laughs> the one who does it so that's working out for me but it does mean i'm probably gonna end up keep doing stuff like that um right and then i just i uploaded this as an example of just like clean speaking like a little more cleanly in art uh, this wouldn't necessarily be a very good cover but um it's not you know i'm not hiding from any of the stuff in this painting um i don't know i mean you could do some typography like on the left side um like kind of like and it dribbles down into the cloud mm, definitely uh, I, I mean you can make it you can make it work uh for sure i just uh it wasn't really designed with that in mind because it's an interior gotcha. so it, um, so what's that an interior for uh i did that illustrated omnibus of murderbot and okay. this is we also did one for network effect 
and okay. the network effect one hasn't been revealed at all so this is one of the interiors from that but they're all that's neat uh black and whites um so is that, is that gonna be for subpress as well yeah yep 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 um i don't remember how we got into all that uh but well oh, that question was just like what's covers you've done that are bad so there you yeah. go so that was one <laughs> one i felt i could speak about in a way that uh you know it didn't it didn't really meet any of the criteria right that i had that i had described it didn't it didn't take zeppelins or steampunk or anything in any sort of new direction it wasn't visually all that compelling uh i mean that was two two big misses right there um so gotcha. you know I, um we've probably already hit on it a little bit um and i know one of the things was is this cool because it's like the cool factor i know it was before it was part of it but what are like three to four elements a cover should express to a reader or are there even three or four is it just one or two there's probably only one or, or two or <laughs> no there's, there's probably only one or two but they're different for every book so i can't mm. say uh yeah. you know there's um there's this idea of like different facets right like that uh, uh if you have a spaceship on the cover that means one thing about the book like you just don't have a spaceship on the cover of any book because uh that speaks a very specific thing about what's going to be inside the book and the sales teams and the art directors they're all really well versed in this stuff and they know okay they kind of even think of the covers as like all right this is a landscape kind of book this is a figure kind of book this is a spaceship kind of book and then sometimes the a book that should have a spaceship has like three birds on it, like how we won mm. the time war. And you're like, what? But it, because of the title, it works. And you know, it's sci-fi. It's kind of interesting. Um, mm. But, uh, you know, if, if it has a spaceship on it, what it needs to do is really different than if it has like, you know, with Chosen and the Beautiful by Greg Ruth, it's just like, you know, a really sophisticated looking woman on the cover uh, with like leaves that are almost like carved or something like there's like these cut paper leaves around her. Um, and those two covers had very different like top priorities. So I can't say for anybody else's books or, or whatever they're doing, you know, with Wizard of the Pigeons, that's a good counterexample. I like the cover we did for that, but it doesn't necessarily scream cool. It's kind of weird. Um, mm -hmm. And the book was kind of weird and the interiors were all kind of weird. So that was a fun one for me because I like shit. That's kind of weird. Uh -huh. um, and I think that's something art can do really well. And so that was a chance to go, you know, in, you know, I feel like in some ways I heard Miranda Meeks say this in the podcast when I was talking to her, me and Micah were talking to her and she said something that I've, I've really thought back on a lot, which is that when an artist finds what they really want to say with their work, what they really like to say, they'll never get tired of saying it. So I really like saying this person right here is a badass. They are fucking cool. You are going to like what they do. They are the shit. Look at this person. That's kind of what I'm able to say. And I like to say it. So because I believe that people have a power that they can do things. And so when they have stories about people who can achieve things, uh, you know, it sounds kind of hokey maybe, but I believe in that. I think it's a great message uh, that people can do things. It sounds so simple, but like you can do stuff. People can do stuff. And uh, 
they just need to most of the time they just need to get out of their own way uh, to some degree and, and believe it and, and buckle down and do the work but uh but they can do things and so um a lot of my covers end up saying that and so that's where it comes back to our obligation for me is a lot of times just like cool if it's cool mm-hmm. like you know, you want this person to be so cool that the, that the reader wants to be that person. That's how cool it needs to be. Yeah. You know, they need to be so ripped or so sexy or so. I think that's so that word. So is a cover's highest priority, whatever it is, if it's, if it's elegant, if it's reserved, if it's sexy, if, you know, and there's a place for all of those, right. It's, mm-hmm. it's kind of taboo for a cover to be sexy these days, but come on, it can be sexy without being sexy. We see that all the time. Um, and, you know, what sexy is just evolves and, and wears a new guys. Like, we're not Frazetta. We can't just put, like, a thonged booty on the cover anymore. And that's probably great. Although, there will come another time where, like, somebody does a thonged booty on the cover and it sells a bazillion copies. It'll just yeah. be the thing for the age, you know. It'll be, like, when the <laughs> 70s fashion came back around. So, I don't know. Um, I don't know what that's going to be or what it's going to look like. Uh, we can just kind of go one step at a time. But I think the, the word so you know when you were saying you're reviewing a, a cover and you're saying oh it's so magnificent or it's it's so beautiful it should be so so something mm-hmm. you know yeah. really whatever whatever it is so striking um, whatever yeah yeah, okay, yeah i, I remember that i gotta i gotta put so every time i talk about a cover <laughs> <laughs> i mean i feel like the so should be implied that's like if it's a great cover it should be so yeah, yeah. i gotcha um so, th- so these, I know we've kind of touched a little bit on them, but um, can you explain like the basics of a cover? Now, this is solely just from your perspective. Like, you know, are there any technical specifications that a publisher or maybe an indie author, you know, is looking for? You know, do you, are there like any certain requirements that you, that, you know, you were normally asked about? And I know we talked a little bit earlier about, you know, uh, when you, when you do paint, you know, is it always on the same size like canvas? You know, are you always painting on a X by X size canvas? Um, and then, you know, it just sure. kind of gets shrinked down depending on if it's going to be for like a short fiction on like tour.com or if it's going to be for an actual book cover. Because I would imagine you may paint the same size, even if it's like a novella versus a hardcover, because you still oh, yeah. get like the effect. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, I'll just run through the technical specs real quick. Um, I paint in the computer on Photoshop. In Photoshop, um, I use a really old version of Photoshop. You don't need like modern technology. They really haven't upgraded the painting side of Photoshop since like CS three or four, maybe. So um, I use CS six just because certain plugins I like. They don't actually have support for older versions of Photoshop anymore. Um, but like, I don't pay the creative cloud subscription or anything like that. Uh, so you don't need like banging new stuff. In fact, um, Ben Oliver, a comic book artist I really love, does all his digital stuff in CS2, uh, which they give away for free on Photoshop's website as like teaser software these days. So um, that part's not that big a deal. For canvases, I just basically am in the habit of painting at double print size. So whatever the print size is, and for me, it's usually pretty comparable, right? We're talking about six by nine or 5.5 by 8.25 or it varies a little. The novellas for tour tend to be a little taller, which honestly I like. It, it lends them a little more dynamism naturally. It's a little easier to compose nicely. Um, but uh, yeah, it's it's always double print size. So uh, most of the most of the files end up between like three and five thousand pixels long. 
on the longest side. It's not huge. And for magic cards, I paint very small, right? Because uh, they're so tiny. But um, as I always imagine it's more difficult when it's like so tiny. Because I mean, you know, at, at, at some point, you know, you kind of look at it and you go, does it really have to be that detailed? <laughs> it doesn't. So yeah, it does. It doesn't at all. Uh, and that's a fun magic when you kind of get over it uh, is a fun job because you can, you know, I think a lot of illustrators these days, they don't take enough risks. I'll say, I'll, I'll even say that about myself in general, but um, I'm trying to take more and you realize you can take risks on the job pretty easily at a certain point. Like you're getting paid as long as the client's happy, whatever. So just see what you can get away with. And with magic, they have very long lead times. If they, if it, if they think it's too loose, they'll let you know, but there's some pretty loose stuff on there. And so, you know, I'm playing more these days with like, what can I not paint? What can I get away with? Where do I like it? Not painted or, or looser or, or less informational. But the way I was trained to paint is very focused on thumbnail read. So for me, it's really, it's not any more or less difficult, however big or small the final is. Uh, in Photoshop, I don't know if you're familiar with the program, but there's a little window called Navigator that shows you what you're looking at really small. And it's designed so that when you're zoomed in, you can click on different areas of the navigator and quickly move all around the painting. But what it really does is it's like a live generated thumbnail preview. It's always at thumbnail size and just sits in the corner of Photoshop. So most of the time when I'm painting, I'm looking there. I'm like painting on the bigger canvas because I need a certain amount of room to make the marks with my arm and stuff. But I'm only really looking at how it affects things in the navigator. Like if we were talking about things like, being like justified or clear like uh i was painting a dragon recently uh which i'd never done before so that was really interesting and uh it had all these like tentacles floating off its head and i hated them i hated them i couldn't figure out why i hated them and then i looked in the navigator and they didn't exist they didn't show up at thumbnail size so it was like i had to brighten the light and darken the dark on them and make them just a little bigger mm -hmm. and then variegate that information with smaller tendrils that would give the feeling of them being really informational, but that you would feel them at cover size. So anything you don't really feel in the thumbnail is going to be like a secondary read or not feel as much like part of the painting, not, not as justified. So for, for me, yeah, I'm, I'm always painting at double print size, but I'm really painting at as far zoomed out in the computer as I can make the marks. I think the further zoomed out you are, the, the better you'll paint usually. Uh, yeah, I never, I never really thought about that way. Yeah, it's it's pretty counterintuitive to be honest. I just was lucky to be the recipient of some good training by other people who knew a lot more about painting than me, and were the product of like a history of painting that you know people that came out of old school like trees of illustration and things like that. The only other technical consideration I'd say it's nice if you think about where type goes and things like that, but uh, mm -hmm. you still can't let those areas feel empty. You know, you need a cover that feels full not too full you know you want space for things to breathe but it needs to feel informational and yet have room for type so that's a lot about your value control that's just something you'll as an artist always work on on your own anyway um but then oh cmyk versus rgb there's a lot of colors in the computer and there's not that many in a printer <laughs> so it's very important to find ways to make your paintings feel colorful in a way that that will reproduce. Uh, I think a mm -hmm. lot of my early covers printed and they felt kind of gray. And uh, I wasn't using a lot of intermingled color, like 
a green pixel next to a red pixel next to a yellow pixel, for example. I don't get down to the pixel level, obviously. But, you know, mm -hmm. when you take a, a JPEG, if you zoom way the hell in on a JPEG in Photoshop, it's got all these grainy different colors that even if the skin tone is all very homogenous, it seems, uh, it feels like juicier for some reason. It's this, the colors vibrate off each other. And so you have to learn to really take advantage of that on covers because they just don't have the, the oomph. You know, when you see like a movie poster online, they, you better believe they have used colors that are not allowed if it's an mm -hmm. online promo image only because on the internet, they are allowed. So mm -hmm. you have a, a very different set of responsibilities for someone like, you know, if it's like the short story art that only gets seen online or if it's a promo thing, yeah, crank that CMYK illegal green, get it in there, give them cancer, it's so green. But <laughs> on a cover, you know, you have to do justice with how can colors print? And so there's a really yeah. easy way in Photoshop, if you hit control Y, it'll show you a live preview of your color space in CMYK. So you're painting in RGB, but you're seeing in CMYK. And a lot of times if I'm like, ah, I don't know what's going on with the color, but it's kind of bugging me. And I do that, uh, just that check. I'm like, oh, these colors aren't even allowed. I have to key the whole thing down and mm. then enhance the color that is left mm. to get it in a place that will that will print. But the, the printed object is, you know, I think it's, like I said, I don't really believe in A or B. I don't want it to just look good online or just look good in the stores. I want it to do both. And yeah. so I'm trying to figure out more and more about that but that's about it in terms of kind of like specs. where that balance is not even a balance but how can you make it seem that you didn't sacrifice on either front how can your oh. images be competitive on the internet where they will compete and competitive mm -hmm. on the bookstores shelves where they will compete because i've tried like sending a, a client two different files and saying like this one's only for the web this one's only for print don't mix them up guess what happens <laughs> So, so like, tell me what, what happens when, you know, that, that one that's only supposed to be for the web, I mean, does it just get almost kind of like dumbed down when it goes to print because, because that color, I guess, palette isn't there. It, it gets dulled down a little. And uh, also you, um, it's usually too dark mm. uh, for print. Like the ink actually dries into the paper in a way that the darker colors clot together more than the lighter colors because the darker colors actually require more ink right mm -hmm. and so the lighter colors you're more seeing the paper tone actually and so you need to have a i have a method of lightening the images for print that's progressive so the lighter colors get lightened less and the darker colors get lightened more uh -huh. um and that file will print really nice and it will look like what i painted on the screen but if you show it on the internet it will look like a nightmare uh <laughs> And the one that was designed to be shown on the web will also look like a nightmare. It will just look like a dark, dingy nightmare. And so there's um, some publishing houses deal with it beautifully and they print proof everything and they know just how to deal with it. And others, they have no clue. Uh, more and more, I'm trying to paint in a way where it doesn't matter if they have a clue. And that usually is a more technically sound form of painting anyway. So it matches my goals on both fronts make a better cover make better art and i really think the two they go hand in hand so often that um, there are specific goals in this industry but at the end of the day you still gotta just make a really cool good thing so cool <laughs> <laughs> um okay so kind of my last question i got for you and you can go into as much or as little detail as you want to and i know we've already kind of talked about it a little bit but so like you're covered for getting the ninth and here of the ninth. So 
we know we know now that you're the you're the standing up staring at the at the camera guy um <laughs> but so kind of go you don't have to go like in super duper detail kind of step by step but you know, you tell me that you read the whole book first, or do you read a little bit and kind of get an idea? Or do you, you're like, okay, I got to finish the book. And then I go, okay, this is what I want to start with. Do you, you know, is, is it always, you know, going to be character driven for your covers? Um, it, or do you ever go, I want to focus on the say dragon or demon, a horrifying demon. And uh, in this case, um, or, you know, do you just go, okay, let's just kind of do some rough stuff right here and then kind of see where we progress from there. What, what's kind of like your step-by-step once you finish the book and how you progress to what the cover is going to look like? Uh, let's screen share again. I say, if you want to, if you want to go picture by picture, that works too. <laughs> uh, trying to screen share. Start broadcast. There you go. All right. So I guess it's changed over time. Uh, these days, let's go back. These days, uh, it's uh, where's like some older stuff. It's all art in here, so don't worry. We're not going to stumble across anything naughty. Uh, <laughs> Oh, except for this beautiful painting of butts. Uh, <laughs> Bringing them back. <laughs> I found this in the Met and I just loved it. Um, but I couldn't find a JPEG that like did justice to it. They all look really washed out. Mm. Um, sometimes. And I have to know for, for the, for the hero cover. I remember when they, when it first came out or when they first did like cover reveal for it, they, they brought up that meme uh, with the guy turned around looking at, uh, you know, at the oh, other yeah. girl, Wells girl. Yeah. Was that, was that the intention with that cover? I haven't told them, so I can't tell you. They asked <laughs> the, the people at tour asked me very pointedly if that was on purpose. And I said, no comment. So I'm sorry. I'm sorry, uh, but I can't. Just, just for me, I'm going to say it was on purpose. <laughs> All right, whatever you, but you because, because I, you got a good chuckle out of it when I said it. I can, yeah, but I can neither. I can't. I can't say for confirm sure. Confirm nor deny. I'm not, yeah, I'm not really finding what I want in here. Mostly, this is just other people's art that I've saved in like cool reference photos and stuff like that. Um, geez, yeah, this is a lot of other people's really good art and a lot of my old junky stuff. I was looking for some sketches, um, but it looks like I tend to not move them over let's see uh this is really early stuff maybe i deleted all the sketches uh anyway i guess what i'm really trying to say is uh maybe the sketches for gideon are on here though they should be that job got done around this time in the chronology but no i don't see it um yeah well no worries um I, nowadays, so I read the book and then uh, I like to have a couple days or at least a day or two to, uh, to think about it. Um, mm -hmm. I think one of the things with me, you know, like I said, I'm very able to like sink in and focus on something, but 
I've also learned how to how to really utilize not doing that. And the fact that I kind of live in this art lifestyle where this stuff's always going on. Um, I can't remember somebody from like, it was like a founding father or somebody who had this great quote that was like, should never go to bed without a, a request to your subconscious. And uh, so I try to just let these like kind of simmer. Like I always know like what painting I'm going to do next. And I think of that one mentally as kind of being on deck. And mm -hmm. if I can have something else I'm working on in between, like read the book and then I have to finish another painting. Uh, when you're finishing a painting, you're, you're thinking about technical things about that painting, but your subconscious is working really hard on the next painting. And so you're cycling through things and usually very quickly these days, um, an image will appear. It took a while. I mean, I remember my first job for Irene that I told you about earlier. I did, I remember I counted the pieces of paper and like multiplied to figure this out later. I did like over 400 thumbnails in pencil. Uh, and I never would do that now. Um, it's a kind of automaticity that you hear people talk about in other fields like uh, Magnus Carlsen, the world chess champion, um, talks about that when he sees a chess position, anybody's bored, he has a, some idea very quickly of what he should do. And then, you know, and actually you see this with um, artificial intelligence uh, and when they study expert like players, like if you study expert chess players, they generate fewer moves options than novices or than like younger, better, younger, really good players, the older mm -hmm. players to compensate for their lack of broad cognitive ability, they get more specialized and their brains generate fewer moves, but each of those moves is more correct. And so they're only choosing between really correct options. And fortunately I've been able to not get kicked out of this field yet. And so, um, I am starting to feel that happen where when I was starting, I had to generate way more options. I just didn't have this like trigger instinct for what's the cool picture, how to do it, can I do it? But things really congeal over time. And a lot of times now I really just see the thing to where I'll do like one sketch sometimes now, um, especially if it's a self-published client, unless not, that sounds like I give the self-published clients less, but honestly, because I only have one person to please and they don't have to go to a meeting. Like when I send three sketches to a client, I know which one's the best one, mm -hmm. which one really does the book justice. And I think would be the best to paint, but they've got a lot of people to convince. And that's not always the way more and more these days I'm getting, I'm getting my guesses right. But uh, it took a while to get that dialed in. And so a lot of times with the self-published people, I'm a lot more confident to just be like, here's the one let's do this. You know, if you have, if they don't like it, great. We'll do another one. Here's the new one. But you might've been like Picasso or somebody that was like, I don't know who said it originally. Recently I heard David Downton just be like, you know, the longer I work, the worse it gets. <laughs> and with iterating images, it's like that too. Sometimes you stumble on something that you can save through like combining things. But as an artist, you learn to combine things up front and figure it out, you know, like how can we make it cool? How can we make it cool? So um, the image kind of shows up and then you just have to have the technical chops to, to know, can I make that work? Like for Wizard of the Pigeons, I think this one's on my website. I did this little picture of like an army man of Vietnam, like uh, this sniper in Vietnam, like hiding in the grass. And he's really little and like back in the frame. And most of the picture is like grass. <laughs> and yeah. I had that idea for the image and I knew the color palette because I go on a walk in the evening around my neighborhood and there's this one house that has really dim orange lights and all their 
in like this twilight lighting they get this blue green in their yard and then there's like these bright they feel bright and they're warm but they're really dark actually these dark orange lights uh that come out of their window and and light up the blue green and i was like that's the palette and okay that's cool that's the palette and i've got the image this little army man and then the grass all right and then it was just a matter of like you just gotta actually do the you just have to prove it to the client if you can just mm -hmm. you just want someone to say yes like whatever and so for some stuff like the client needs to see more color and things like that um but more and more these days like that sketch i showed you for the commander that was just like the gray blorps that was just like the two figures that is all i need to know it's going to work i can mm -hmm. see the rest or know it's going to be there and a lot of times mm -hmm. you find cool, cooler stuff in the actual details of painting i used to do really finished sketches uh as like a compensatory measure for i don't know maybe i couldn't see it until i had done the sketch but now i've done so many sketches that you i, I remember i heard before he was defamed i heard louis ck talk about that like sometimes now he'd be in traffic and he'd have like one little idle thought and he'd be like oh yeah that'll that'll be about three to five minutes of stand-up awesome and he'd just write down just the thought and he'd know that it was going to take some work, but when he took that thought through his process, in the end, he'd get like three to five minutes of a new stand-up mm -hmm. out of that thought. And art now feels more like that, where you get the idea and you're reading the book and you're like, oh, that's the, like with Wizard of the Pigeons, I was like, oh yeah, that's the, that's the one or the, you just, because you're, you're speaking from your own sensibility. If you had to make everyone else's day it would be harder but if they came to you they already want the kinds of things you say so yeah. you can trust you can really rely on your instincts in a, in a nice way um so yeah i just kind of do whatever is necessary like with tamandra you saw we started that the the band shot wouldn't really have worked in black and white so i did that one up in color it needed the vibrancy and the the vivacious sort of colors and things like that but the final shot was this like classical painted shot. It wasn't a lot of new stuff to sell. So I just went like, here's the poses. That's like it. And that worked. So um, yeah, just whatever will, will prove the thing more. I mean, sometimes you get to do pieces with no proof, like for network effect with um, subpress. I did no sketches for anything. <laughs> I just went straight to final. And I just wanted to try that. Uh, Greg Ruth does that with some of his images, a lot of them actually. And I was very admiring of, of what could be done that way and it seemed hard and i was like oh that's cool let me try that as a challenge and it was definitely challenging but it also led to some pictures i wouldn't have expected so who knows you're always playing with it it'll be different if you ask me later but for now whatever can get clearance whatever will make them say yes and so i can paint the thing but um <laughs> now nah, there's there's not a lot i don't iterate in the sketchbook really i don't Unless I, if I don't have my idea really clear when I sit down, I'm in trouble. So if you have to do one or two like pen thumbnails just to kind of know, because sometimes you scrawl very differently with your physical hand than on the computer. And sometimes I find that the, because I train myself to draw in the real world with like pen and paper. And then when you draw on the computer, a lot of your automaticity, those habits I said you could rely on, they're not there for you because the computer distorts your marks because yeah. uh, of the, the tablet. So, uh, Sometimes you have to, to leverage all you know, pen. But in general, if the idea is clear, it doesn't matter. You can just bang it out. Hmm. Do, you, do you actually, uh, I guess, draw outside of 
what you're commissioned to do? Like, do you actually draw for enjoyment or do you, would you rather do something completely different? Like go outside and go for a walk, <laughs> go, 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 uh, go travel. I do both. I, it's another thing where I think you can, you can eventually build a life where you do both. Uh, I'm about to spend the rest of this afternoon outside in the sun. It's pretty beautiful here as I'm sure you're aware. Oh yeah. Like, oh yeah. It's gorgeous yeah. outside. Yeah. So I'm going to go, uh, enjoy, but, um, when I, uh, when I draw, when I'm drawing for myself, I really do like to do that. Uh, it's not, it was something I really had to learn how to like to do because I never understood it when I started work, but uh, when I started to be a painter, um, but like, it's, it's really not the kind of stuff that um, anyone would be all that interested in probably, uh, you know, like this is a, a page from my sketchbook. I don't know if it'll clear up if you can like get it to, yeah focus at all but um yeah it's just like anatomy and like random notes they're on the right page you can see like notes from when i was reading the book that turned into that vikings cover there's uh -huh. like things like in quotes it just says orange sky uh you know like little simple basic visual things you can pull from the story but then uh when i'm working for myself i'm actually I don't do a lot of finished work for myself, basically none. I do uh -huh. like um, those training, different training exercises I was telling you about. So like, this is like me um, mapping out what muscles are involved in every action of the rotator cuff. Interesting. And then just drawing them from memory and trying to, you know, internalize this information. Like I said, when yeah. you sit down to draw, you have all these habits at your disposal, but not if you don't build them. And right. a lot of people, they build habits uh, through long, hard working hours of just drawing for themselves because they find drawing pleasurable. Um, I never did because I couldn't. Um, because when you're a kid, everyone says you can draw good because you're not an adult yet. They're not holding you to the standards of a job. So you always think you're good. So you have a lot of time ahead of you and you just draw and draw and draw and it's very pleasurable and you make progress at whatever rate. And other different people seem to fall into different routines. I think the people that are seen as the most talented tend to be the ones that have accidentally fallen into drawing patterns that teach them a lot. So they're just naturally getting skill as they work and do something that's enjoyable and they get praise for it. So it's a very virtuous upward circle. I had to sort of artificially engineer circles like that for myself because the world is telling me you can't even get an internship, bro. You suck. You're really bad at drawing and you, everybody you look up to is amazing. So you got a deal. <laughs> and um, so I, I really spent the first year or two of my art training, not learning how to do art, but learning how to learn and train and, uh, reading all these books on like, there's a, there's a, there's a broad neuroscience community that studies expertise specifically and how expertise is linked in with habits and cognition and memory and the subconscious and all this different stuff. And that's a great passion of mine to really analyze people who are amazing at stuff. How are they amazing at it? How do they think is usually how they think is usually quant qualitatively different than how other people think about the same topics. Like when I was saying, I only look at the thumbnail navigator and zoom, paint as far zoomed out as possible. It's not necessarily all that clear from the work. Uh, and it's not something that I would think to do if I hadn't been taught um, it. But there's other things I do that I did teach myself that, you know, it's, it's always a balance um, of whatever, just using whatever you have at your disposal, but it's different. It's usually something kind of different that comes through training. And so learning how to train and then, 
how finding outlets for that training. So when you're asking, is it always going to be a figure? I love, you're asking if I do drawing and stuff for myself. I love to paint and draw the figure. I just love it. I think human mm. bodies are freaking awesome. And, you know, my whole love of like challenge is very um, engaged by the figure because they're tough. They're tough because uh, in some ways a dragon is easier because there's no such thing. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but, <laughs> but everybody knows what a person looks like. Everybody yeah. knows if, you know, if you woke up in the morning and your eye was one millimeter higher, you would freak your shit. <laughs> You would lose, you'd go to the doctor. But if you're a painter, it's so easy to have the eye a millimeter too high and be like, oh, right. no, it's, it's okay. And other people yeah. be like, oh, it's horrible. <laughs> uh, uh, they won't say that, but they just won't hire you. So right. you have very <laughs> high technical demands on you when you paint and draw the figure and the face. And I got to say, I love that stuff. So yeah. there will be more and more diversity as I um, get hired for it. But as you perfect the human form <laughs> no it's it's a it's a challenge that feels a little beyond me but um what i'm doing right now is trying more and more to paint the figure totally from imagination i used to use a lot of reference and take photography of models and stuff like that and nowadays i'm trying to do a lot just just from here um so that's been a fun that's been a fun and interesting challenge like that one i showed you of the guy hanging on the rocks the robot hanging on the rocks that's all just from my mind and um that's just been like all the work in the journal of trying to figure out and a lot of this and i said that you think qualitatively differently about a thing to achieve a new skill i went and saw kim jung gi uh this artist who's amazing draw live in seattle and i was just it was very humbling i i was at this point of frustration in my career and there was things i couldn't do and i was very afraid and here was this guy who could just sit down and draw seemingly anything out of his head on paper with no sketch. He would just get sit down with ink. Have you seen this artist's work, Kim Jung Gi? I think so. Um, he's that he's that guy that like in like commercials they'll just show him just like drawing like endless shit out of his head on a huge mural. I think I know. He's exactly like a phenom at this point. Yes, and I, doesn't he have like an Instagram account with like a million viewers? Maybe it's a Twitter account. And like he'll More literally just like go point, across probably. the canvas and he just draw. Yeah, I think I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, it, he's phenomenal. It's like a printer. It it looks like he's tracing something. But yeah, it's yeah, only yeah. In his mind. Yeah. And uh, I was very, I was kind of obsessed with this guy before I went to see him, and I thought I kind of because I had studied enough about training and cognition that I kind of thought I knew what he was doing, and I went to see him draw, and two things happened. One, I found out I was right in every way I had thought about how he works. Two, I got the chance to ask him and personalize questions and, and test and validate my hypotheses against his answers as part of like the crowd Q&A. And three, I was totally blown away. I mean, I was so blown. I just, it was like, okay, I've been climbing a mountain of a certain kind of skill and I'm getting near the top and I hate this mountain of, and I'm, just where this skill can take me in the career I, I have to do, because I had really learned how to draw what I could see, but you can't see fantasy stuff. It's fake. That's the whole thing. So our job is actually to really realistically draw something that we can't see. And I needed a whole different type of cognition for that, like a whole different operating system. I basically had to transfer my whole thing over. And here I saw this dude on a mountain that was so high that from the top of my mountain, I could barely see the foot of his mountain. And I just knew he was somewhere up there in the clouds, like smiling. And I was yeah. like, shit, I have a lot of work to do. 
And so what Kim does is he doesn't draw how a thing looks. His entire functional system for drawing is that he draws how it works. Everything. He draws how everything works. I, somebody in the crowd was like, how do you draw a motorcycle? He said, you draw a bicycle and you put an engine on it. What? <laughs> Who would say that? Because, and, if he, and then he, he elaborated. He was like, if I can't figure out how to draw something, I just go and I research about the thing. I don't look at pictures of it. I try to understand why does it have a drive chain? What do the pistons do? How does it work? So he's like this human anthropologist that understands how everything works. And so when you learn to draw that way, it's much slower than drawing what you can see. Um, when you learn to draw what you can see, there's kind of one technique and it can be applied to anything, but only anything you can see. Uh, with this way, you learn very deeply about the functioning of things and then you can draw them. So. I'm just barely starting to get to the point. And the Harrow and Gideon covers were great examples of that. If you look at the skeletons on Gideon, and then you look at the skeletons on Harrow, the skeletons on Harrow are actually much cleaner and have much more correct anatomy. That's because the skeletons from uh, Gideon were drawn by observing skeletons that I took photographs of. And they were like toys and stuff, right? So they didn't have, they weren't necessarily correct. I didn't have that much conviction because I didn't know that much. Uh, I then spent like nine months doing nothing but studying human anatomy from the ground up. And where do you start? With the bones. So when I did uh, Harrow, I had just spent nine months doing nothing in my sketchbooks but drawing bones. So all those skeletons were drawn from my head and they came out way better. And so that was a great early proof for me and now as i take that into the full figure it's like figuring out okay well when the chest is breathing in how does that change the muscle positions and how do you slide the shoulder blades around the rib cage and blah 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 blah. it's just this insanely complicated system that stuff like that thrills me i like the challenge of it so once i figure out humans i'll figure something else i want to maybe it'll be cars maybe it'll be big guns i don't know something and then when i learn to draw that you'll start seeing that in covers so it'll be slow it'll be a slow <laughs> evolution but uh but for for me anyway it'll be it'll be fun it'll be interesting yeah, yeah absolutely <laughs>